Well, good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be here, and I'm humbled by John's description of what led us here. I remember it a little bit differently. I came to John, and it was months ago, and I said, could I do this for you? And he said, you're not ready, Doug. And that bothered me, but I wasn't daunted. I, I went home, and I studied, and I prayed, and I wrote more and worked harder. Came back to John and said, John, can I do this? And he said, you're not ready. I was sad about that. Went home again, studied further, read deeper, prayed more. Came back to John and said, John, please, I've worked so hard. I will do this for free. And he said, ah, now you're ready. <laughs> I know that's an old Baptist preacher joke, John, but. The other thing I will share with you, I'm looking at the clock. And my wife has informed me I've got 23 minutes to finish this. So, John, I now feel your pain on two levels. I appreciate those that talk to you about the length of the sermon. I also appreciate the notion of having your wife sitting in the choir loft who can launch a hymnal at the back of your head if you're not careful with what you say. So I will watch that on both counts. Now, today I'm coming to talk to you about reforming our view of fatherhood. John brought to us at the start of this year the, the knowledge of the celebration of the Reformation of the modern church. This is the 500th anniversary. And if you'll remember, one of the parts of his message that day, he encouraged us to think about other places in our life, other parts of our life that need to be reformed. So today, being Father's Day, I thought it was appropriate that we talk about reforming our view of fatherhood. Here's why I think this is very important. Christian psychologists tell us that one of the biggest challenges that people have in relating to a heavenly God, a heavenly Father, is the hindrance from their experience with their earthly Father. Now, as I say that, I'm reminded of a good friend of mine who many years ago told me he would never go to church on Father's Day. I said, why is that? And he said, well, on Mother's Day, the preachers just build up the moms. There's flowers, there's hugs, there's kisses. On Father's Day, the dads get slapped around about how lousy they are and how bad they are and all the mistakes they make. So this, this message today is not about that, but it is about taking a look at our experience with an earthly father that might have an influence on how much we can embrace who and what our heavenly father can be. And I'm going to challenge all of us to take a moment to reform that view of fatherhood. Fatherhood with a big capital F as in God, capital G. And let's reform that. Now, I want to start with a discussion about the job description of being a dad. I bet if we took a survey here today, we would get a wide variety of attributes. We would get requirements and expectations. We would have things listed but I bet you, just with a crowd of this size, we would have so many different variations of that. Because you see, there are many of us, and I know I talked to you individually as I prepared for this sermon, I asked you the question, tell me the story about your relationship with your dad, and tell me about his relationship with his dad. 
And I heard the stories. Some of them were beautiful. Some of them were wonderful. Some of them were amazing. Some of them were the things that make the story that we all would like to have. But sure enough, there were others that were not so nice, not so pleasant, more about disappointment. So as we think about this job description of what it means to be a father, we're also influenced by pop culture. We've got a long litany of stories and plays and movies that have been made about what it means to be a dad. And inevitably, the story is very common you got the man standing there. He's trying to live with tradition. He's trying to live with his own understanding of some expectation for his role as a dad. And where he got that, how he got it, who knows? doesn't really matter. He's dealing with it, and the world around him is changing, and he's not keeping up with it. He's fighting, kicking at the goads, trying to maintain that standard, but embrace what's changing around him. Guys, if you've been in that position, you know what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily fun being a dad for that very reason alone. But where those standards and those attributes came is what we need to talk about. I'm going to share with you a little part of my testimony because I had a very significant dad experience growing up. And I'm going to take you back in time quite a number of years. It was a great day for baseball. This was the actual glove that was there in this story I'm getting ready to tell you. Yes, if this glove looks like it's more than 50 years old, it is. <clears throat> but it was a great day for baseball. The sun was out bright. It was opening day of our season. The grass was mowed. Fresh chalk was down. Coach, you know about chalking some baseball fields? You've done a few of those, I'm guessing. It was beautiful. We were so excited to be out to play baseball. We had been practicing for weeks. We, of course, had been kind of talking it up with our buddies at school. We all went to the same school, so we all knew each other. It didn't matter what baseball team you were on. We were sitting there ready for the game to start. And sure enough, cars were pulling in the parking lot. Family cars were unloading. Pretty soon I saw my family car pull up. Car parked, door opened, my mom stepped out. My mom was a professional woman at the time. Tailored suit, high heels, nobody could walk through a gravel parking lot in high heels like my mom could. <clears throat> she was a classy lady, wonderful lady. But my dad wasn't there. My dad wasn't going to be there. So mom got her place in the stands, and we played our ball game, and everything was fine. But off and on throughout that game, as, as exciting as it was, as much focus and as much attention as we were trying to have that day, I still had that recurring hurt in my heart that my dad wasn't going to be there. Now, part of the reason, big reason, my dad wasn't there, my dad was dead. My dad had died not long after I was born. So that's a pretty good reason for not being there, right? But as I, I grew up and was told the stories about my dad, I learned he probably wouldn't have been there anyway. Because I learned, much to my sadness and disappointment, my dad was an alcoholic. 
he probably wouldn't have been there. He was a workaholic that suffered alcoholism. By all accounts, he was a brilliant man. He was a national news anchor with NBC Radio, based in Chicago. He had an intern that worked for him, a little guy named Mike Wallace. But by all professional accounts, my dad was great. But on the personal front, again, as I got older, my mom shared with me, my dad had a severe struggle. Now, he wasn't a mean alcoholic. He wasn't a violent alcoholic. He was just an alcoholic, which made him unavailable, disenfranchised, and just not there. So the odds are I would have had that problem. He wouldn't have been at the baseball game. But for a young boy growing up, I created this image of what it would have been like to have my dad. And I had this perfect job description I figured out on how he would be and what he would do and what, what moments we would have had and what great times we would have had. But like I said, as time went on, I learned that that probably wouldn't have ever happened. And as I got older and I, I shared with my friends and I watched their family dynamics, I learned that the dads they had weren't all that cool either. There were, my friends had disappointments about their fathers that were no greater and certainly no less than the disappointment I had about mine. And their dad was still alive, but they couldn't fix it. So, I began a journey a long time ago trying to understand why does that happen? How, what is that about? How can that possibly be? And the simple truth is, it's a broken system. It's broken because men have children, and they do, just like I said, the characters in the movies do. They, they take their best shot at passing on values and tradition. Where those came from, how they got them, probably it was passed on from their dad. Or maybe their reaction to life is to do a 180 from what you saw with your dad. I've known people who also had dads that were alcoholics, and they said, I'll never touch a drop in my life. And they don't. It's a 180. Total disconnect, total diversion. But it's kind of a broken system. We sit here and we struggle as men. Men, you remember that day that firstborn came home laying there on the bed, and what did you say to yourself? Ah, what do I do now? You feel like there's no book that's ever written for that. You kind of make it up as you go. And yes, maybe you had a mentor father that taught you some things, and that's great. Blessings to you if you did. That's wonderful. But generation after generation, if we go back in time, we see this breakage in the system, generation after generation. But yet when we go all the way back to the beginning, there's a scripture that God tells us in Genesis 1, chapter 1, the very first chapter. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let me repeat, God speaking, let us make mankind in our likeness. Now, I don't know about you, but... That sounds like a pretty good blueprint. 
That sounds like a pretty good plan. That sounds like a great idea. And if you read the rest of Genesis, the story gets bad real fast. There's a breakdown in the generational handoffs. People lose sight of that message. They lose sight of the definition of what is God's likeness. They disconnect, and they move on in their own inimitable way, trying to figure out how to make it work. So as I grew up, I did the same thing. I I was on a journey. I was on a struggle. I was trying to ask questions. Now, fortunately for me in my development years, developmental years, my mom had the wisdom to introduce me to some phenomenal men who were willing to be mentors. My scoutmaster, Ron Whitaker, taught me all the things about scouting, camping, sharpening a knife, swinging an axe, all those kinds of things. But he taught me about servant leadership. He taught me about faith in Jesus Christ. I was saved on a scout camp out when I was 12 years old. George Jared came alongside. He taught me about woodworking, how to fish, how to golf. Those of you that know my golf game might say George didn't do a very good job. But nonetheless, he taught me, got me started on it. Dan Ward came along. He taught me about business. He was a furniture salesman. But he taught me about business. He taught me how to play tennis. He taught me how to talk to the ladies. All these men had significant influences in my life. And they came alongside with good, solid values, good, solid information, and a willingness to share. So I kind of got programmed for living my life that way ever since I've sought out people. When I felt there was a new chapter evolving, it it was time to find somebody new that had that insight, had that knowledge, had that wisdom. And it wasn't hard to go ask, would you come alongside? Could we, could we work together? I had two phenomenal mentors in my college years on the campus at A&M. A guy named Wayne Stark, who part of the student center is named after today, and another gentleman named Hal Gaines. They were my surrogate fathers when I was in school. Phenomenal men. But still, there was a little bit of a disconnect I said a moment ago I had been saved at 12. I believed all the stories about Jesus Christ. I was as earnestly following Christ as I could. But somewhere, somehow, there was always a little gap. Who is God the Father? I don't get that. I don't understand that. How do I get there? And that was a struggle I carried all the way into my 40s. And I was with a group of men at my church at the time, and we began sharing about a number of things, and we realized we all had a fairly common bond with that hunger, that acknowledgement there's some kind of gap there that, that we know could be fixed, we know it could be bridged, but we didn't know how to get there. So we came together as a group. We found another older gentleman that was going to be our mentor on this little journey, and we began a process. We began a Bible study. We began prayer, meditation, sharing. It was a virtual 12-step group, folks. I mean, not, I don't, I'm not ashamed to say that. It wasn't about drugs and alcohol, but it was about this hunger in our heart. And we worked through a process, and partway through that, 
This next scripture that's in your bulletin was, was given to me. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm guessing none of you have that as a memory verse. You probably didn't have it on a card when you did sword drills in Sunday school as a kid. Here's an excerpt from this verse. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. You see buried in the middle of that scripture a short little phrase. Perishable things from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Boom. That's it. That's my story. I said, fathers have kids. They hand off tradition. They hand off values. Where did those come from? We don't know. They worked on it. Maybe they were handed it. Maybe they were doing it. But guess what? That guy had a futile set of tools that was passed down from who? The guy before him. And so on and so on and so on. For me, that was a huge revelation. This, this mystical job description that I had created for my earthly father, who would never be able to achieve it, by the way, this job description was going to fail because it was futile. It was futile. The Bible says it was futile. The only job description that could be fulfilling for my life and life-changing was to begin to understand and embrace who God the Father was. Forget all the other stuff. Peel away the layers. Peel away the filters. Go direct. Go look for God, our Heavenly Father. As I began that part with a renewed understanding, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I still had a hunger to know who my dad was, but it was in a whole different way. I just wanted to understand him as another human being. I wanted to understand him as another person who had a struggle in this world. I wanted to be able to talk to him about why did you turn to alcohol? What was up with that? Not to condemn him, not to judge him, but just to have that understanding. So yeah, I thought about that a little bit, but it was no longer the driving force that kept me disconnected from God. Everybody with me so far? Making that connection with the Heavenly Father, I was able to realize all those incredible men that had been introduced into my life, they weren't just filling holes, they were samples. They were samples of what my heavenly father was about. They had had their focus on their thing, the peace that they could contribute to me. They were samples of what a heavenly father could do, who he was about. See, these men, when they came along to mentor, they wanted me to realize my best ability. They wanted me to grow. They wanted me to be fulfilled. They didn't want me to be anxious. They didn't want me to be scared. They didn't want me to be weak, uncertain, so on and so on. They wanted me to be full. They wanted me to be complete. 
that's exactly what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. I've written down here a little twist on finding the Father. When we start to look at God, our Heavenly Father, this way, we're going to discover that there's a different set of six senses And all of these have scriptures to go behind them, and and my 23 minutes won't allow me to go into all of them, but let me list them for you. God, our Heavenly Father, gives us our soul. That's our heart, our, our sensitivities, our feeling to connect in this world. He gives us our spirit. That's the connection with Him in heaven. And of course, scripture tells us that connection comes through Jesus Christ. He gives us our sense of self. If you're sitting here today and you're still wondering, you're still questioning, who am I, why am I here? God the Father can explain that to you. It was his plan, remember. Let us make them in our image. He gives us significance. The Bible tells us we are each uniquely and wonderfully made. That's pretty significant, folks. You're the one of the kind for whatever you are. That's great. Don't lose sight of that. Don't doubt it. Don't question it. He gives us security. In a world that would otherwise want to attack us and tear us down, God, our Father, gives us security. He gives us a promise of protection. And lastly, in this series of six, he gives us salvation. He's answered the question, what happens after this? He's already given us that answer. He's given us that understanding. So we can draw on that when we turn to God, our Heavenly Father. Forget the binds, the misconceptions, the bad filters of our experience with an earthly father. We can turn to a clear and clean and pure vision of a Heavenly Father and make that connection. Mark inspired me some time ago to begin reading Parker Palmer and in his book, Let Your Life Speak, he talks about, and this is for all of us, but I take it specifically for the men, ladies, you're not excluded from this. As we go through our life, we have two options. We, we can either shine light or we can cast darkness. It's pretty simple, easy choice. Your interaction with your child, your interaction with your brother, your sister, your other family, your neighbors, there's really only two ways it goes. We either shine light or we cast darkness. That's a pretty easy starting point in my mind. Even my Aggie math tells me that's not hard to figure out. One or the other, what are you going to do? And I will encourage you, if you, if, if you need help with this journey, just like they tell us in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Finding those people who come alongside, and folks, we got them right here. You don't have to look very far. There are people here who have figured out different things, and they're available. Their heart is to share Their heart is to nurture. Their heart is to mentor. Their heart is to answer questions. So young people, if you've got questions, you've got a lot of good experience here to draw on. People that have fought the fight, 
They've run the race. They've learned the truth. Let them be a demonstration of God, the Heavenly Father. An old friend of mine who's now deceased, a lady named Marge Caldwell, some of you may know her. In her own country way, Marge, God love her, I can't even do her accent. It's so East Texas, I can't even do it. Her, her phrase was, sometimes we just need God with skin on. Sometimes when we're deep in the battle and, and particularly distracted, we just need somebody with skin on. We need a God with skin on to come alongside, carry us through that moment, get us over that hurdle, get us on to the next level, and most of all, help us stay connected to the truth. Stay connected to the definition of who and what God our Father is. I'm going to close with a little something I'll share. I'm not sure where I officially learned this. This is not a scripture, but it's a great teaching for dads. I told all of my kids when they went off to college, come home before dark. And I don't mean when the sun goes down or when the lights go out. I mean when you sense that there's something dark getting ready to happen in your life, come home. Just come home. Let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Let's make it better. And let's protect you from that darkness. Well, friends, that's what our Heavenly Father is doing right now. He calls us constantly. As I was meditating on this, this is not at all spiritual. It's not at all scriptural. But it's a word that comes from the great songwriter Jimmy Buffett. If the phone doesn't ring, it's me. That's God calling. He's calling for you all the time. He wants to have you as his child connected with him as your father. He wants to be able to pour out for you all of his blessing, all of his promise, all of his truth, everything he's got to offer. He doesn't really stop wanting to do that. I was reminded of a picture of God in heaven sitting on his throne, having control over all creation. I'm a little geeky for scientific science fiction movies, and you always see these big fancy control rooms with the big giant monitors and the big console in the middle. And I don't think that's particularly scriptural either, but if you see the throne room somehow that way. God's busy. That's my point. That's where I'm going with this piece. God's busy controlling, having dominion over all creation, but yet there's a picture of any time one of his children enters that room and says, Father, I need you, everything stops. We're told that's what our prayer does. That's the effect of being able to pray. On a time-motion continuum, I don't know how that works. I'm not even going to try to start talking about it. I don't know how that works out. I just know it's a promise. That God, in all his control of all the universe, is willing to stop when you say, Father, I need you. And he will give his attention 
for that moment, for that need, for that time. And he will do that without reservation and with no hesitation. So he's ready and available. So this is what I see when I think about reforming our view of fatherhood. And there is a moment here, as we traditionally do, we're going to ask you to come forward. There's a great reading here. The Father is still calling. Remember when the phone doesn't ring, it's me. You called, you shouted, you burst through my deafness. You shone upon me, your radiance enveloped me, and you banished my blindness. You spread your aromas around me. I breathed, and now I gasp for your sweet fragrance. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I burn for your peace. What a great picture. God is calling. If you're a Christian and and you, maybe like me, have spent some time feeling a sense of disconnect, you know Jesus, you believe in everything this word says, but yet deep in your heart there's a sense of a little bit more gap that needs to be fulfilled. I'm going to encourage you to consider, could it be possible that that gap is a disconnect because of some arbitrary, subconscious, psychological, and I'm not licensed to talk about that, but some issue that is prohibiting you from connecting with God the Heavenly Father. Take a moment, respond to that call. And if you have not yet met Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you're feeling the tug on your heart that today's a good day to meet your Heavenly Father, come down now as we sing. John will be ready to receive. I pray for you. Let me say a brief closing prayer. Father God, you are our Father. You